As Christians, when people bring up the topic of evangelism, what do you think that means? Well, in my experience, people usually end up in one of two camps. Camp 1 says you need to talk about Jesus and live a life that's consistent with what you believe, and Camp 2 says all you have to do is live a good life. It'll speak for itself. Well, first of all, it's a big jump to assume that anyone can live a good life, don't you think? I mean, Romans 3, 10 through 11 says, none is righteous, no, not one, no one does good, not even one. But that doesn't convince you. In Mark 10, a man comes up to Jesus and kneels down before him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds promptly with, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, not only was Jesus subtly claiming to be God here, he's making it pretty clear that nobody is good except for him, hence the no one is good part. But this is the sideshow to the main event, folks, so step right up and let's get down to it. And let's assume when Camp 2 says good life, they just mean if you live a visible godly life, people will, just by watching you, understand all they need to know about God. Okay, let's play that out, shall we? And let's ask Bruce if he can help us. Hey, Bruce, hey. So Bruce grabs a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, and a Christian, and he tells you to follow each of those folks around, and after simply watching them, you'll know all you need to know about God. Now, each goes to a place every week and sits among like-minded folks. Each person prays, each treats you with respect, each loves his family, is honest with his money, and is basically a nice person. So. Which God do you pick based on just watching? Who's right? How do you know? What do you compare unless they tell you why they do what they do? Talking, it seems, becomes critical. No doubt nature reveals much about the invisible attributes of God, but how do you know exactly what he requires of you? I mean, who he really is and what his ultimate plan is without some kind of specific revelation from him. I mean, how would you know if your mother wanted you to paint the left wall of the garage red if it wasn't specifically communicated to you in some way, usually by writing a note or speaking to you? So what did God deem the best way to communicate the specifics of his will? Did he summon porpoises to do a modern dance? Did he draw word pictures in the clouds? No. To communicate precisely the things he wanted you to know, he intervened throughout history and spoke through men, ultimately moving some of them to write the Bible. That is, he spoke and he wrote a note. How would we know if God created the heavens and the earth in six days? That Adam and Eve were created in a perfect world, but their rebellion brought sin and death into the world? That it's the grace of God through faith in Jesus alone that saves us? How would you know that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the grave? How would you know any detail about God and his word and his plan if nobody told us? Well, we wouldn't. We couldn't. And that's why you got to tell people things. You, you just can't hope people will catch on by watching you live a so-called good life. Life, it's just not enough. Ultimately, you got to tell them why you live that way. But don't just take my word for it, my inquiring Berean band of misfits. Read along in Romans 10. And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? Jesus himself definitively declares in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. It's kind of hard to baptize in the name of somebody without actually saying the name. And it's pretty difficult to teach people to observe commandments without telling them what those commandments are, right? I mean, I could go on until my mouth falls off, but suffice to say, Christians are commanded to live a life worthy of the calling, which irrefutably includes things like giving reasons and answers for our hope and engaging in a conversation about Christ. So this idea that you never have to speak out about your faith and all you have to do is live a good life and people will catch on has been debunked. Adios. Okay, all right. Now, if you don't turn to your Bibles right now, we're going to look at this Bible. <laughs> I picked him because he is so much like me when I get Facebook messages that says, please slow down. All right, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 4. And uh, I am really excited about this message this morning. Actually, it is the hallmark message of the well and any church for that matter uh, it is entitled, Thirst, Drink, Pour. Who among you knows uh, our vision statement, our mission statement here at the well? It's on our bulletins. It is everywhere you go. It is the reason why Thirst, Drink, Pour is on the wall in the hallway. We are what? Seeking after thirsty people to give them a drink of Jesus Christ, who is the fountain of living water, and then teaching them to pour him back out among everyone that is around them. This is faith, 
right? Okay, this is learning and growing, and then this is pouring it back out. And so this is Discipleship 101. A lot of churches, they seem to, uh, ours uh, can start to slip in this, and we have to pull it back out. They can get comfortable where they are, and therefore they just start speaking the same message every single week. Jesus loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Come and get saved in him, and you're good to go. But we also understand that the Bible teaches that there is something that you are to do after salvation, and that is live a godly life, go out into the world seeking to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we then have a work to do. Every one of you are called to go. You see, a lot of churches get very stagnant and complacent. We come to the same place. We sit in the same pew. We even start to think that that's our chair. You did buy your chair, but we start to think that that's our chair. What are you doing sitting in my spot? This is not your spot. This is a training ground where you come to get equipped to then go back out and reach the world, right? So we need to then understand, okay, well, then how do we do that? Where do we go? What do we do? What do we say? When do we go? And, and how are we to think about this? I look around the room right now, and I see many of you, you have this concept down. It's becoming greater and greater of a work inside of you, but I'm very excited when I think about what you're doing, and you're living as missionaries where God placed you. We think of missionaries as somebody who maybe would go overseas or go to another part of the country and speak for Jesus Christ to someone that's not heard about Jesus Christ. And that is a missionary, but you really are called to live as a missionary where you are because missional living uh, happens everywhere. You don't have to go off somewhere. You just have to go. So you could go next door. You could go to work. You could go to, to the grocery store. You could go to school, wherever you want to go. You are called to be a missionary. Now, we've been looking at the scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that says, <gasps> my wife says, slow down. But I've got so much to tell you, and I'm so excited, so let's go. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4 says that, Christ gave gifts to men, and he says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, okay? Now, what we are to understand as apophets, apophets. <laughs> I'm an apophet. So as apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, see, all of these gifts, and I don't have time to go into this, but... I will take a side note here. I won't chase a squirrel, but I'll tell you a little something. I've been talking to several of these men out here who are very gifted in teaching and, and showing people and leading people through the Scriptures and through different areas of life that all of us could use some work in, such as uh, finances, budgeting, uh, how, to, how to make sure that you are doing with your money what you are to be doing with your money as far as savings and that type of thing, and spiritually speaking as well. We've got some guys in here who are really gifted in teaching, and uh, they are... They actually need uh, to be used by God to fulfill their purpose in that gifting because you were created to go and to do and to work, right? If you don't do that, then you start to get bored and you start to do stupid stuff or you start to lay down, right? So what we want to do is we want to equip, empower, and then we want to send them so that they can be used by God to do what God's called them to do and equip all of us, right? So what we want to do here, and I'm going to ask a few questions. I think next Sunday I'll have a survey or a questionnaire for you to see when Who's, who all is interested in these type of things? When uh, would be the best times for you to do it? Such as I've got a guy who is going to lead a five to six week, cla six week class on biblical finances and how to, uh, how to manage your money according to the Word of God. I've got another guy who is going to teach through one of the books of the Bible or uh, whatever he chooses to do, but lead uh, deeper theologically so that we can better understand, understand the Scriptures. I would like to teach a class on leadership and how God uh, works. And see, there's what I get to do here on Sunday mornings is like a 45-minute... 
right? There's so much up underneath of this foundational stuff that I don't have time to get to and to tell you, such as how the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers, how each one of them actually set up the next one. So you need the prophet to create the environment that the, I mean, the apostle to create the environment that the prophet then can work out of. The prophet then creates the environment that the evangelist can then work out of, and, and so on and so forth. So if the apostle is skipped, then you really have a prophet who's not held in check because they didn't have the apostle there, and things get kind of out of whack, and you have Church of God churches when they're swinging on the chandeliers, right? So we really need to help one another. We need to pour into one another so that we can be perfectly balanced according to the Word of God, and the church gets equipped, built up, and sent out so that we can do it all over again, all right? So what I want to know is, who in here is ready to grow and go, right? And I'm, I'm asking right now, who in here is ready to grow and go? I don't want to just sit around and be complacent and be like, oh, that was a good church service. What I want to do is say, I felt the presence of the Lord today, and it stirred something inside of me, and it wants to come out, right? Like a caged lion. You know, some of these guys in here, we've got some bull riders in here. Raise your hand if you're a bull rider. There he is over there. So, Hey, don't be lying, Zach, you know, all right? So we've got a bull rider. Now, I've been told, and this is just a little side note again here. I guess I'm chasing this squirrel down pretty hot and heavy. I've been told that a bull is in the chute. Here, pay attention, Dusty. I'm talking. You're not even looking at me. I've been told that a bull in the chute, even if he's a mean bucking bad mama jamma, right? If he's in the chute and he's ready to come out of that chute, if he stays in the chute too long, is this true? If he stays in that chute too long, he'll sit down. Is that right? If he stays in there too long, he'll sit down, right? We've got some bulls in here that are just ready to go. We've got to open the chute, right? We've got to open the chute and let them go so that they can do what God created them to do, okay? So that's coming down the pipe. I want you to be praying about that because that's you too. If you just come and you sit in church, and you know 200-year-old churches that have 200-year-old people in them, they're not doing anything, right? So we need to revitalize, you know, clear, you know. So we need to come in, and we need to check ourselves and say, okay, God has come inside of us. He has filled us up, and now we need to go. In John chapter 4, it seems to speak of Jesus Christ. When he comes in, what he does is a work inside of you, and that work that he does inside of you creates a well inside of you. Actually, it creates a spring. And now a spring wells up to eternal life, right? So a fountain of living water is then placed inside of you. And out of the abundance, out of the overflow, the mouth speaks and the heart enjoys. So Jesus Christ comes. He does the work. He implants the Holy Spirit, which is then created a well inside of you that springs up to eternal life. Eternal life never ends. It continually goes and goes and goes and goes. So your well never runs dry. And it's continually welling up, which means that you are a finite vessel. You're not eternal uh, not in that way. So when this well springs up, what does it do? Comes out, right? You can't contain it all. You can't contain it all. So when the well starts to spring up and up and up and up and up, and finally it comes out. My question is, is it coming out? If it's not coming out, then what's went in? Because the Bible tells me if Jesus Christ goes in, the Holy Spirit goes in, something will come out. So if nothing's coming out, has anything went in? So let's ask ourselves today, is anything coming out? A tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. So if, if nothing's coming out and there's no fruit on the tree, then we say the tree's probably dead. Or if it has bad fruit, it's a bad tree. It needs to be cut down and done away with and a new tree growing up. So in order for that to happen, then seeds have to go in, the Holy Spirit has to go in, and this well comes out. So let's look at that today. And what I want to do now, I've talked to you about 
apophets, not just kidding, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and now we are stopping at evangelists. And I talked to you a little bit last week about how Moses was a picture of the evangelist, and he was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, who is the evangelist, who came into a lost world as a stranger, uh, was reaching out and picking up those who were lost, igniting a fire within them. They were born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he was rescuing them. He was uh, by definition, the uh, evangelist. So what I want to do today is we've looked at an Old Testament example of, who, uh, of what evangelism is. We saw how uh, Moses was actually, um, he was delivered uh, to be a deliverer, right? That was a good word. You know, Moses was delivered at birth to be a deliverer, and he started to deliver, for the kingdom of God. So I would say you are the exact same way if you know Jesus Christ. You have been filled up full so that you would be a filler upper fuller. Right? You are. That's what you are. You are a spring of life. Jesus Christ is the fountain of living water, but he has taken his fountain, he has put, placed it inside of you. Now you are a jar filler. You go around and you are to be uh, spilling out the life that Jesus Christ has placed inside of you onto others, and then they will catch that water, which is the gospel, which is Jesus Christ. And once they catch that and it resonates within them and they see and they believe and that Holy Spirit comes in, then they too will get a spring of living water that wells up inside of them to eternal life, and then they will do the exact same thing. So it's disciples making disciples making disciples making disciples, right? So what we want to look at today is, is that we we saw an example of evangelism in the Old Testament in Moses and how he did that. But what I want to look at today is let's look at the example. Let's see how, how did he interact with someone? Where did he go? What did he do? How did he do it? And all this type of stuff. So let's look at John chapter 4, Jesus Christ at the well when he meets the woman. How, what was he doing when he met her and all this kind of stuff? And let's just see if we can apply some of that to our life. And see if I can convict you, not me, but God through me. See if, I, see, if, see if the Lord can convict you, but then motivate you, renew you, and send you. Maybe some of you aren't Christians. So... If you don't have any fruit, and if you're not having anything coming out of you, examine your heart to see what not, whether you be in the faith. If you don't have any fruit, and if you are not overflowing with water and the power of the Holy Spirit, then please get saved today because we need all hope we can get. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, I feel your presence today. I am excited. I, I think I have been talking backwards for the last five weeks. I think you've still been working, but I have felt overwhelmed. I want to ask you today, Lord Jesus, that you would be in my mouth, that you would be with my words, that it would not be me, that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would be on display for all to see. Oh, Lord, you're exciting. I love you. I'm ready to go for you. I want you, to, I want you to make every word that comes out, every sentence that comes out, I want you to make it sharp, active, living, and, and, and able to pierce all the way down to the marrow, Lord. I want, you to just, I, want, I want you to do a work that's outside of me, God. I am nothing. I, man, I could tell testimony. You know I'm nothing. I'm not, but in my weakness, God, your strength is perfected. And so right now, I pray for every heart in this place. I pray for every ear in this place. I pray for their brains, God. I pray that the Holy Spirit would take off the chains, that they, he would tear down every wall that they've built up around their hearts. God, there's so many with their defenses up. Lord God, I pray that you would grab their hands and lower them down, look them in the eye and say, I love you. And that they would fall in love with you and that they would melt, they would melt under your voice, God. I pray that you would show them your glory because when they see you, Lord, 
They will not turn back. They will not go another way. When you play, I, pr I pray, God, that you would place that fountain inside of them. I pray that it would flow up and out like never before, God. I pray that when, when they walk in their house today, maybe there's wives here and their husbands wouldn't come. God, maybe there's husbands here and their wives wouldn't come. God, maybe they have an unbelieving boss, an unbelieving coworker. Maybe they, maybe they go to school and their teacher's an atheist and he's pressing that junk down their throat. I pray, God, when they walk in that place from here, I pray, God, when they go home today, when they go to work tomorrow, the next time they step in that place, that person looks at them and says, what in the world just happened to you? I pray, God, that you would be flowing out of us, that we would look into your eyes and into your face and your glory would radiate off of us in such a way that the world would know, that the world would know that we have met with God and that they would say, can I have some too? Lord God, send them to us and do not allow us to close our mouths and keep this diamond to ourselves, but help us to share the glory of God with all those around us. Help us, lead us, take us, move us, show us, send us, Jesus. Be in our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. I got 42 verses to go through. It'll be a miracle if it happens, but we're going to try. <laughs> well, so don't give me that look, man. I'm sorry. All right, so thirst, drink, pour, uh, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. All right, I've showed you the, hold on, let me see if this works. Okay, did I do that or did you do that? All right, technology. We are seeking thirsty people to give them a drink of Jesus who is the fountain of living water and teaching them to pour him back out onto everyone around them. If you want to know, if you want to know one sentence that characterizes who we are at the well and what our vision is, what God placed in my heart a long time ago, memorize that sentence. It's on all of our bulletins. It's on everything that we have. I want you to memorize this sentence. As a matter of fact, this is a good uh, synopsis or a, a thesis of the entire Christian faith. We are seeking thirsty people to give them a drink of Jesus, who is the fountain of living water, and teaching them to pour him back out onto everyone around them. You ought to have this memorized. It should just roll off your tongue. How many of you could do that? How many of you could roll this off your tongue? You all ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> we need to be able to say this because this is a good door. This is a good way. And what I want to show you today is how Jesus does. He's like a ninja. I'm telling you right now. You open up a little bit, he's like, Gotcha. He's like a he's looking for every opportunity, every weakness. As soon as he sees a weakness, he pounces on it like the lion that he is. He wants to, he wants you to be the same way. Whether you're at work, whether you're at school, wherever you are, you ought to be all the time thinking, how can I relate Jesus to this? How can I show them Jesus? How can I, you know, if you if you if you get an opportunity, you need to be asking questions, you need to be seeking to show the glory of God in every way. Why would you need to know this? Because this is a good way just for you to say, this is who Jesus is. This is what my church is about. This is what we do. We're looking for thirsty people, want to give them a drink of Jesus who is the fountain of living water and teaching them to pour him back out on everyone around them. This is just discipleship. So we're looking for thirsty people, give them a drink of Jesus, teach them then to pour him back out, and we continue this process of making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to get into John chapter 4, and I'm going to read, I don't think I'm going to read all 42 verses at one time. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a section, then I'm going to unpack it for you. And I want to look at some things that, that Jesus Christ does, the things that he says, the, the little things that you might not catch, but the Lord, I think, has shown me some, some of this stuff this week, and I want to share it with you. So uh, let's read, and I want to do something right now. Uh, I want you to all stand to your feet as we read God's word, out of respect for his holy word, because this is the Bible, okay, and it changes people. Man, you need to stretch your legs out, because I'm going to go today. <laughs> John chapter 4, okay, listen to this. 
Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass, now listen to this, he had to pass through Samaria. I think that's going to be important. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, had, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus Listen to this. Wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. That'll be very important as well. He told her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman, from, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew, now this is going to be huge right here. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, listen to this, where we'll end. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Talking about the water from the well. Everyone who drinks this water, they'll be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Lord Jesus, bless the reading and the hearing of your word. Bless your people as they listen. Let's get into it. Please show us. Please teach us. Please send us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to draw out a, a couple of things here um, that uh, I, I just noticed as I was walking through the scriptures and uh, as the Lord, I was just seeking the Lord and I'm praying and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, how did you do it? You know, if, if we can learn from anybody in the Bible, it's Jesus Christ. Everybody else teaches about Jesus. And we can look at the life of Jesus himself and say, okay, how did you do it, Lord? And, and what are the principles that I can apply to my life, the ways that you talk to people, the way that you develop relationships, the way that you did this? So let's look at some of that right now. Let's say, okay, well, how did Jesus do it? And how can I apply that to my life? Now, I'm not just speaking to hear myself talk. Okay, I am telling you things right now that should equip you to do the work of the ministry out there so that the kingdom will expand. So don't just let this go in and say, oh, that was good, or oh, he's terrible, or oh, anything else. Look for the teaching from the Bible and then apply it to your life. And as you go out there, change what you do according to the Bible so that God can use you in a greater way. Don't just listen. The Bible says, don't be hearers of the, of the word only, but be doers of the word. Yes. Let's be doers of the word. So, number one, we find that uh, is, we say thirst. So, what I want to show you here is that we are called to reach those that thirst, but we must first establish thirst. See, there are a lot of people walking around in the world who, they don't think that they are thirsty. They don't think that they need Christ. They don't think that, that anything's wrong with them. And I think this a lot of the times is what slows us down and causes us to question whether or not we should share the gospel because we in and of ourselves question whether they even really need what we have. 
This is why we don't feel confident enough to talk to someone about Jesus Christ. It's why we don't feel confident enough to tell them that you don't have what you need, but you have what I need. You see, a lot of people think that that's arrogant, but it's not arrogant. It's loving. If you come to someone and they are about to thirst to death, but they're drinking salt water, so they don't think that they're about to thirst to death. They're just chugging salt water. And they think that they are drinking in something that's going to nourish and quench their thirst. But if you've ever watched any survival show, can you drink salt water? Is it water? It's water. But can you drink it and survive? No. What is it going to do? It's going to dry you out even quicker because of the salt, because of the poison in it, right? It's not, you're not, you can't drink it. But now if you came and you wanted, you didn't know that and you were stranded on a beach somewhere and you were really, really thirsty, you might just start chugging salt water. Well, we don't understand that all the people in the world, now this hit me like a ton of bricks the other day, and I already knew this, you already know this, but for some reason it just hit me in a way that it never hit me before. I want you to look if you're there. Uh, I'll just read it to you if you're not there, but you're already in John chapter 4 just look over in John chapter 3 where it says in verse 16 now everybody knows this verse it says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life we all know that verse and we say yippee Jesus Christ loves the world so he gave his son that that nobody in the world would perish but that they would come to know him anybody that would believe okay it goes on It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, Jesus didn't come with the express purpose to condemn people. He didn't do that. He came so that people might be saved. But people are condemned, though. Why are they condemned? It's because they won't believe. They won't drink the water that they need to be drinking, but they intentionally and desiringly drink poisoned water they think that in and of this world and of themselves is enough to get them through so they don't look to jesus christ now listen to this right here and this just boom verse 18 says whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever believe whoever does not believe is condemned already whoever does not believe is condemned already look god is not going to condemn the world God is not going to send them to hell. God is not going to place his wrath on them. God is not going to condemn them. They're already condemned. They are walking dead men and women. We don't understand. We must not grasp this because you have the water of life. You have the words of life. You have the means. You are carrying around the means. And when I say you, I mean you do and you do and you do, you do, all of you. You have what they need to survive. I'm not talking to the crowd. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to you. You have what they need. Now, this is the picture is that we walk around in our world. And we're looking at people who are laying on the ground. Their parts, their lips are very dry. They're about to die of thirst. We have a huge spring that's inside of us, and it's just welling up. But instead of reaching out and grabbing them and saying, let me hold your head right here and and pouring the water slowly into their mouth so that they would be saved, we say, he doesn't need me. Walk away. We must not realize the gravity of the situation because... God doesn't want you to go. He's sending you. He's saying you've got to go because they're not going to die. They're already dead. If you don't go, they're dead. They're dead. They're not. You've got family. You've got loved ones. You've got coworkers that they're already dead. They don't even realize it. They don't even realize it. 
Listen to the word right here. It says, now, let's back up just a little bit. We are called to go and reach those that thirst, but we must first establish thirst. Now, let's look how Jesus does that, okay? Because I think a lot of us think that we need to plan and we need to organize and we need to do all of this stuff and go out and, you know, I I don't know about that because I don't really want to preach on the streets, you know? I don't want to stand on the corner with my big old King James Bible and hit everybody coming by. You know, oops, hey, let me talk to you for a second. You know, you're going to hell. You know, is there a place for that? I don't know. Whatever there may be, there may not be. I don't know. But that's not exactly what I'm talking about here. If you want to go do that, if that's what God's calling you to, go right on ahead, okay? But I want to show you how Jesus does it. Check this out. Now, it says here in verse 2, it says, or verse 3, he says, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. The Bible says that he had to pass through Samaria. So we know that there is a huge need that people thirsting to death everywhere around us, they're already condemned. They have this burden on them. The wrath of God rests on them. This is a dry and weary land that we live in, and they are dead without this water. But I want to show you what Jesus Christ does and how he moves. You see, God places people in your path every day, and there's no need to go out of the way unless he expressly tells you to. What I mean by that is, you see, Jesus Christ didn't go out of his way. Now, I've read commentaries and I've heard preachers say before that, that, that Samaria was out of the way and that he took this special trip around because he had this encounter that he was going to go do. Well, I, I know that Jesus Christ knew what was coming, but the Bible very clearly teaches that he had to pass through Samaria. So that's the way that he was going. So when we, we know then that this woman happened to be in his path. Now I want to show you. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Joseph had given to his sons. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, why did Jesus Christ sit down at the well? Come on, huh? He was tired. He was thirsty. Does, it, does the Bible say that he sit down at this well to preach to this woman? Doesn't say that. Did he know that was coming? Maybe so. He's, you know, he's omniscient. He knows everything. But he had to go through Samaria. He was thirsty. He sat down at the well. He was looking to get a drink himself. This was his This was his journey. This is where he was in life. So he goes through Samaria. That's where he had to go. That's where he's going anyway. He gets tired. He comes up on this well, and he's like, I'm going to sit down here. I'm going to take a drink. Now, I'm going to show you something even further on this point is that it says right here, it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, who went to who? Did Jesus go to her, or did she come to Jesus? She came to him. You see, I'm not telling you that you have to beat your head against the wall. Where do you want me to go, God? I can't, I don't know. Where do you want me to go? Just go where you're going to go. Just go where you're going to go. You're on your mission field right now. Now, if God speaks to you and he moves you to go somewhere else, then do that. That's fine. But you've got to bloom where you're planted. Where God has you, that's where he's got you. And you're not, you don't have to beat your head against the wall to figure out what God wants you to do or who he wants you to talk to. Take a look around. Go about your life. Remember, the will of God is not this exact straight line necessarily that we got to make sure, but it's, it is who you are. 
The will of God is what you do. It's who you are. It's how you live. It's how you move. It's how you breathe. And if you are drinking in Jesus continually all the time and your fountain is well fed and it's welling over, then wherever you go, you're going to be dumping him out everywhere you go. So if you're weary, sit down. But if someone comes up to you, don't do what Jesus didn't do. Don't say, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm tired. Did he do that? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, he turned his situation into an opportunity. He turned his situation into an opportunity. You see, he was tired. But out of his tiredness, out of his weakness, came the proclamation of life-giving gospel. Woo, you hear me? Hey, out of his weakness and out of his, out of his, 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 his weariness and his tiredness came an opportunity for greatness. All of us say, I can't be used by God. I'm beat down. I'm broken. Perfect place. Perfect place. Perfect place. Matter of fact, that's what we're going to see with her too. So you see right now that, that God places people in your path uh, that, that, and there's no need to go out. But the second thing right here is, is that we must, why are you not working? Ah, we must now here listen to this we must now I want you to pay attention here we must be aware of our surroundings at all times and looking for opportunities to share Christ because Jesus Christ is always moving he's always speaking as a matter of fact I, we could sit down sometime and I, I want to do a, a sermon on this one day the centrality of Christ because I can show you through the scripture and through human history that Jesus Christ is a central figure in everything that's ever happened you say, what about the bad things? They were against Christ. Jesus Christ is, I mean, come on, look, and I can't go into this, but look at your calendar. Our calendar. B.C., A.D., before Christ, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Jesus Christ is a central figure of all humanity. All of the universe, everything revolves around him. Everything moves and finds its being in him. He holds all things together by the word of his mouth. He is the great I am. In every opportunity, there is, in every place, there is an opportunity. In every situation, there is an opportunity. And when you think you can't, that's exactly when you can. Amen. God can turn your can't from a can, and then he can make a life out of it. And I'm telling you, you've got to be, around, you've got to be aware of your surroundings. You've got to be ready at the blink of an eye, in season and out of season, to give a reason for the faith that you have. That's why you've got to know the Bible. That's why you've got to know Jesus. That's why you've got to be in prayer. That's why you've got to be in meditation. Are you ready? I'm asking you right now. If you claim to be a Christian, are you ready? Is your well filled up full? And are you ready? As soon as somebody, somebody, you know, have you ever seen a cat? You ever seen a cat? I don't like cats. But they are. They do some stupidly funny things, right? Have you ever seen a cat? Cats are, now unless it's a really fat, lazy cat, cats are always ready. If, a cat, if you use one of those lasers, now a cat can just be like this. But it looks over and it sees a laser on the ground. It's like, <laughs> I mean immediately, right? They're always ready. They're always ready at a moment's notice. You slide a piece of yarn. By, I mean, it's like lightning. Are you ready? Why are you not ready? If you've got Christ inside of you, every, uh, every opportunity that presents itself, you're jumping on that bad boy. This is an opportunity. I can share the gospel. I can pour life out right here. I can give them a drink of the fountain of living water. I can show them Jesus. They might not die. You got to be ready. 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 Number two. Oh, Lord. I'm excited. I'm shaking up here. I'm excited. Number two is we've got to give them a drink. Now, 
If you don't have anything to give them, you can't give them a drink. Again, I want to keep coming back to this. Your well's got to be full. Keep your well full. Keep your well full. If your well's dry, you got nothing. You know, you walk around like this. Somebody comes up to you, can I get a drink? Do I look like I got some water? (laughs) You give me a drink. (laughs) You can't give somebody a drink of something you don't have, so keep your well filled up. But as we look at how Jesus gives somebody a drink, he said, we are called to give those that thirst. We are called to give them a drink. Man, I went backwards. I got to figure this thing out. I like it. Oh, okay. Okay, he built, now listen, how do you, now we've got to first establish thirst, and the way that we establish thirst is, is that we show them their need for a drink. We've got to be ready at all times to, uh, to, to pour into them, to love on them, to reach out to them. We've got to speak the truth into their life. We've got to show them that they're thirsty. We do this by being filled up full ourselves, Okay. We do this by being filled up full ourselves and then being a light to a dark world. And we've got to, now I don't have a lot of time, but we can go in and out. If you want to know more about it, we can sit down sometime and talk about it. But you've got to establish the need for a drink of water. If they don't know that they're sinners, they have no idea that they need to repent. If they have no idea that they're, that they're condemned already, they have no idea that they need a Savior. So we've got to know the Word of God. We've got to present the Word of God clearly. We've got to be ready to speak in season and out of season. So let's see how Jesus then tells them or, or starts to uh, give her a drink of water. Uh, number one is he built uh, a relationship with her through which he gave her a drink. You say, well, I don't see that in this text. How do you mean he built a relationship with her? Look right here. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, he's going to say something else to her right after that, but I want you to see right here, when Jesus says, give me a drink, he is creating a relationship in two ways. He is creating a relationship in two ways. The first way is, is that he is saying to her that I want you to help me out with something. There is, uh, there's an old leadership saying, a leadership uh, uh, step that you can take and a model that you can, that you can use that says, if you want to build trust with someone that you have authority over or that is in a relationship with you, if you want to build trust with that person, then ask them to do something for you. It sounds kind of weird. It sounded weird to me at first because it seemed to me like it seems like they would think that you were taking advantage of them. But what I've come to realize is, is I've, I've employed this in my business and in my relationships with the church and in, even in the life of my kids. Uh, that, that if you want to build a relationship with someone, if you want to build trust with someone, not that you demean and demand and send and go, but that you would ask them to help you with something, that you would give them a responsibility because what you're doing is you're trusting them with something. You're trusting them with something. You want to know how I can just make my middle son, Ezekiel, just smile from ear to ear? Ask him to help me with something I know he's going to screw up. I'll be like, you want to help me wash the car? Yes, yes, whoo, yes. Now, he won't do that in 10 years probably, but right now he's four and he wants to help me do whatever. Now, I know that I'm going to be like, oh, like this, because as we're washing the car, he's like, He's like dropping the brush in the mud, and then he's putting it on the car, and it's like, yeah, 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 and I'm like, no. 
But he loves and I'm building a relationship with him. Jesus looks at her and he says, give me a drink. What he's doing is saying is that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lean on you for something that I need. You see how this would build a relationship here? Now, if you do it in the wrong way, no. But if you come and say, hey, Heath, Heath, you know, Heath right here is on fire right now for God. Heath, when did this really set in for you? What, what, what happened? I don't even know if you'll say the same thing. It's unexplainable, but what happened between me and you that really solidified the relationship and really took it to the next level? What? Okay. Man, you messed me all up, dog. I'm telling you. Well, let me ask you. Me and Heath, I asked him to come help me. <laughs> Heath and I spent, uh, I don't know, what was it, about 10 hours? We stayed up more than that because we came a little bit earlier. It, we spent probably about 10 to 12 hours on our knees together under the women's toilet. Man, me and him, try to step between us. <laughs> you spend two hours under a woman's toilet with somebody, right? But see, this solidified our relationship. I asked Heath, I was like, can you come up here and help me? And me and Heath and Kevin, Kevin, I could say the same thing about Kevin Vest. Where's he at? Kevin, raise your hand. There's Kevin right there. Man, I love that guy right there. Anybody that will spend that much time on our knees with you, Steve Brown, there's several of you who we have worked hand in hand for hours and hours. Talk to Robert. How, those guys that went yesterday and worked 12 hours on end or however many it was. That Man, that relationship, I bet, is deeper than it's ever been. And I tell you right now, when you do that, when you go up to someone and you say, hey, how you doing? You think you can help me out with this? It will start. To, now, another thing in that same comment that we find is, is that he crossed over all kinds of borders and he gave her worth. You see, you can't ask somebody to do something in a demeaning way because you will break the relationship. But if you ask somebody to do something in, a, in, an, in an overcoming way and in a, a way that gives them worth, then you will build a relationship in which you can speak the gospel to them. And I'll say that, I'll explain a little bit what I mean. When he said to her, give me a drink, not only was he trusting her with something that he needed, so he was giving her a task that, that he was placing responsibility to her, and she felt good about that. But he was also crossing all types of cultural boundaries, and he was giving her worth that no one else would give her. So he said, how can it be that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink of water from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan, and that did not fly. You see, he was not supposed to be talking to her because everyone else would look down on him because he was looking to her. So when he lowered himself to where she was, she looked at him and said, wow, you mean you would stop and not only asked me to give you a drink, but you would talk to me and that we would have a conversation? You see, a lot of people look at you and you say, there's that two good Christian, do goody two-shoes, two goody two-shoes. What is that? How do you do I say that? I just lost my whole, there's that goody two-shoes. Why was that so hard? So they see us as Christians walking around like, you know, I'm better than you. And maybe you do walk around like that and shame on you. You do far more damage than you do helpful. You cut people off from the gospel looking you're down your nose. And that's not even Christian. You may need to check your fruit to see if it's not actually poison fruit that's falling off and even killing the ground around the tree. If you're looking down your nose, then you're not, you're not like Jesus at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ stooped down to help those in need. And in doing so, he gave her worth. He gave her value. Now, he might have had to devalue himself, but he gave her value. Because the disciples came back and they was like, what in the world are you doing? 
You see, he gave her worth and he trusted her. He started to build this relationship. What, is, what can you do uh, to, to do this great work in, uh, in your current situation where you are. Do you have anybody at your work or anybody at your school or anybody at uh, wherever, your house or whatever, that they don't feel like they have much worth, they have low, uh, they have low esteem, they think very lowly of themselves, uh, maybe it's a physical issue, maybe it's how they look, maybe it's how they sound, maybe it's because of a situation in life, and do you just walk by them all the time looking down on them like this? What, it, what would it look like if you, like Jesus, would stop? And get down there with them and say, how you doing? You think that the, the, you think that the response might be just like this woman said to Jesus? Why are you talking to me? Well, because I love you. Have you ever thought that just taking a little time? You know, you got that guy that lives on your street that he's a, he's a sorry dad or, you know, he's hooked on drugs or what. Have you ever thought that? You know, you could have been in that exact same situation. You think you're better? You needed the life that he needs. And when you walk right by him and you refuse to give him a drink of the water that God has so freely given you and welled up inside of you, then you make yourself out better than him. And that is not, that is not godly in the least. He said he poured truth into her on every level. He didn't just say, oh, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life no he spoke to her look at the look at the scripture here it says that that she looked at him and said why are you talking to me a woman of samaria for jews have no dealings with samarians samaritans jesus answered her if you knew the gift of god and who it is that is saying to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water you see she he started to point out right away that she needed this drink right away he pointed out, you need this drink. You say, well, how do you get that from that scripture? It's because he, he, he started, he nailed it right when they started talking. So he built a little bit of a relationship. He, he, he built some trust by asking her to do something for him that he needed. So he put himself out there. He made himself vulnerable. He came down to her level, which gave her worth and picked her up. And he said, I'm going to take time out to sit down here and I'm going to talk to you. Even though you think you're no good and you're unworthy to talk to a Jewish man, I'm going to lower myself and I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to speak life into you. And she started to listen. Well, as soon as she started to listen, he started to reveal her need. So when she said, why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me uh, to give you a drink? Why is it that you would lower yourself? Why is it that you would break all of these cultural barriers? Why would you do this thing that might make you look terrible and will make him look terrible? Why would you do this thing for me? He doesn't say, well, because you, you know this, because of that. He doesn't say anything. What does he do? He goes straight to who he is. He goes straight to who Jesus is. You see, I'm not telling you to just meet physical needs. I'm not telling you just to make someone feel better about themselves. As a matter of fact, you may have to, in all reality, you may have to lead them to a place where they realize they're even worse than they think. I'm not telling you just to pat everybody on the back. Man, have I experienced this lately. <laughs> you know, sometimes what people need is for people to stop patting them on the back. How many 40-year-old men do we have who are still at home in mama's basement? And everybody's always saying, I'm so sorry you've had it so rough. Daddy left you when you were little, which is just true. 
You made some mistakes and now you've got a record. And, and that's true. That's good. But he's making those decisions every day. And if we keep playing patty cake with him, oh, it's okay. Mama's always making excuses. Daddy's always bailing him out of jail. Somebody's always saying, oh, he's had a hard life. He's had a hard life. Yeah, you've had a hard life. Now get up out of your pity party, out of this puddle of tears right here, and be somebody. God's got a plan. God died on the cross. He's paid the price. Don't sit there and, don't sit there and mope around and, and wallow around in a puddle of tears that Christ has already dried up. Jesus Christ has paid the way. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. So sometimes when we come to somebody, and that's what we see Jesus do. She, she said, why are you talking to me? He said, woman, if you only knew the current situation that you're in right now, you'd stop talking and start asking me questions. You see, they need to know Jesus. But they don't know Jesus. They don't understand that Jesus Christ has paid the price. They don't understand that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. They need somebody to tell them. They don't need for you to come and just pat them on the back. You need to develop a relationship. You need to develop a, a voice that you can speak into their life. And this is not manipulation. It's not, it's, not, it's not sidestepping anything. You are doing what they need done. You are showing them the truth of the gospel because if somebody doesn't, they're going to die and bust hell wide open. They're walking around zombies right now, and they need for us to speak the truth. And if you won't speak the truth, they're going to go to hell. And hell is a real place that's real hot, and it lasts a long time. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? We have to slow down. We have to look somebody right in the eye. We have to start developing a relationship, and we have, quick, we have to be really quick to take any opportunity to slide the truth in faithful like a ninja that's exactly right faithful are the wounds of a friend but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy stop kissing stop making excuses for them you look them in the eye after you've developed that relationship and they know that you love them and they know that you're not out to hurt them you look them right in the eye and you say you're in sin you don't do that out of your own self-righteousness that's why we stop. It's God, that's unloving. That's judgmental. No, it's not. It's a hammer knocking off the edges. It's a magnifying glass showing the truth that you're dying. You see, Jesus said this. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you a, a drink of living water. He would have given you living water. See, the woman still didn't get it. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the, that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you greater than him? It, it, she says, he gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. You see, every time you go to someone, until God starts working in the heart, you start revealing this thirst to them, they're going to start making excuses. Well, I don't really give, I don't really need water. You know, I've got this other thing over here, and, and, and I've got this, and, and I've got that, and Jesus isn't all that great anyway. I don't really need Jesus. So immediately, she starts to diminish her need for Jesus, right? She says, are you, are you that great? What are you going to do? You don't even have a bucket. You don't even have a bucket, how are you going to get water? And Jesus is talking about something eternal. Jesus is talking about something uh, amazingly humongous that is, that is beyond this earth. He's not even talking about physical water. You see, what you are offering someone is not a, a hand out of their current situation. You are offering them life. Yeah. 
Eternal life. This is more important than their job. This is more important than their current situation. This is more important than all of that. As a matter of fact, without this, they can't even have that. You want to help somebody in their marriage? You want to help somebody in their job? You want to help somebody manage their, their household well to know how to discipline children? Then you introduce them to Jesus Christ. He's the one that does that. He's the one that leads. He's the one that teaches. He's the one that gives life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, right? He is the way. So in order for, to help them with any physical need, we must address the spiritual need. We must. She says, well, are you greater? Are you greater? What are you talking about? You don't even have a bucket. You don't even have a bucket. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. May have to make two sermons out of this. But I just, I just, I, we're at this point to where... We need to take a step in our church. There are some of you who are, you're on it, buddy. You're on it. You're going out. You're like, how can I help? Uh, I see you. You, you. You're speaking to people. You're loving people. But there are some of us who don't. We're not showing people Jesus. We're not speaking about Jesus. We're not excited about the Lord. We, we don't have this, we seemingly don't have this fountain that's just bubbling up inside of us, running over to those around us. And why not? You see, Jesus, he meets with this woman and he tells her, he says, look, it's not about this world. You don't, it's not about a good job. It's not about success. It's not about doing all the right things and saying all the right things and looking the right way and having the right car. Man, that's so sickening to me. I'm so tired. I get caught up in it myself, and it's so tired. We need to, if God's given you a, a nice house, praise God. How do you use it for him? If he's given you a nice car, praise God. How do you use it for him? If he's given you a big bank account, praise God. How do you use it for him? Do you look and say, well, I've got to give 10% this week so that God will let me spend the 90 on myself? No, it's all God's. It's all his. It's all his. Give 10 to 10% of the church. That's like the bare minimum of what they could give in the Old Testament. It was like, if you're going to give, in, you got to at least give 10%. Well, I'll give God 10 because that's what he requires, but the 90s for me. We have got to give God our lives. And this is not a money speech. Please don't hear me saying that. Do you need to give more? Yeah, you need to give more. I, I mean, that's not even funny. We broke, <laughs> we out of money. How many of you even give the minimum requirement, so to speak? And it's not a requirement. We'll do a lesson on tithing one day. You are to give out of the abundance of your heart. How many of you will say, well, I'll throw a five in? God is calling you to look at your life and say, I can live on this part. I'm going to give God everything else. And even this over here, I'm going to live for God on. Why is the church hurting for money? We got 300 people in the room. Why is the church hurting for money? Well, I'll open up our checking accounts and lay them on the table. You scared? You say, oh, you, you get off my toes, preacher. Get off my toes. Hey, Bible tells me where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You show me your checkbook, I'll show you a God. You show me your checkbook, I'll show you your God. I show you my checkbook, you show me my God. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. At the end of the day, your, your life is all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. 
every minute of every day, you are to be a, 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 a spy dropped in behind enemy lines. When God gives you an opportunity, when he gives you the shot, you take it. You speak. You sit down with somebody. You speak to someone. When he reveals that person's sin in your life, you don't judge them because you hate them. You, you tell them and you show them their sin. You point out that speck in their eye after you've taken the log out of yours so that they might not die. You take life, you, you give them water, you pour it in as much as they can handle. Don't choke them on it, but you give them a sip until, they, until they're growing up. And they've got this fountain of living water inside of them. We are to go, we are to reach out to them, we are to pour into them. We've got to give them a drink, and then we've got to teach them to pour him back out. You see, that's what happened in the story. And my time's coming to an end, but I want to tell you right now that if this isn't happening in your life, all I'm telling you is, is that you need to examine whether or not you be in the faith. When I tell you that the church needs to take another step, look, I don't tell you that because I'm mad at you. You know, God will provide the money. If I got to work extra hours at work and if I have to give more myself, I will. That's what I'll do. I don't care. That's where I am with God. That's where I am right now. Now, pray for me that the Lord holds me there. I'm asking you, is that where you are? I know some of you are. I know some of you right now would rather do without yourself so that the church can have and so that God's people can move forward. Are you willing to wake up earlier on Sunday morning to go pick somebody up for church and bring them to the church? Are you willing to come off of your high horse and go and meet with someone who is on drugs and alcohol and meet with them and talk with them and hold them accountable and, and have time that is set apart from them that lets them know that you love them and Jesus loves them and that he wants them to be saved? Do you give of yourself? Romans, the book of Romans tells us that we are to be living sacrifices. We, our whole life, not just our money, our money, our time, our effort, our energy, our houses, our cars, our everything is Jesus's. It's all about Jesus Christ. You see, but whoever drinks this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, <laughs> you got to show people their need for Christ. And once, listen, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God, I believe that Christ is the most beautiful and amazing, most captivating thing, presence, on, truth on the entire planet and, and that exists. So if you show people Jesus, that's all you got to do. You don't have to be a wizard. You don't have to be an, a magician. You don't have to be a theologian like, like nobody's business. No, you just have to show them. I'll give you an example. For those married men in here, <laughs> if, have you ever passed by the bathroom or by the closet and you get a glimpse of your wife and she's changing clothes, she's getting ready, you'd be like, Look, Robert's about to get up. Preach it, brother. <laughs> Woo! Hey, I'm going to tell you right now, that man's day is ruined. Amen. Because all day long, he's trying to write something. And it's, oh, get out, get out, get out. All day long. Because what? Because he has saw something that he desires. Come on, am I right? I wish it was like that for my wife, you know. She's like, close the door. <laughs> I'm like, you sure? <laughs> they just ain't built like us, fellas, <laughs> you know. 
The concept is the same. You want people to long for Jesus and love Jesus? Then live for Jesus, speak for Jesus, and show him everywhere you go. He's so glorious. He's so beautiful. He's so magnificent. He's so desirable. He's, he's amazing. Man, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb, the Lord God Almighty, the spotless Lamb, the ferocious lion. He is our thirst. He is our drink. He is our poor. And when you get a glimpse of him, man, he's on your mind. Every day, every, every minute of every day, get, that's why you get in the Word. And, you know, we're talking about evangelism and evangelizing other people. But I've, told, I've said this from the very beginning. I could sit down and I could show you some models and I can show you how Jesus Christ, he was already on his way. She came to him and presented him with an opportunity and he was aware and he was ready. So he started to show her. He actually goes on to point out her sin and how she's drinking from other wells and broken cisterns that hold no water. He, he's, he, you know, he, she said, I don't have a husband. She's, he says, you're right, you got five. <laughs> you know, she's like, pow. He doesn't let her go on any point. He points out the truth to her. He's, he loves her, but he loves her enough to tell her the truth, which then leads her to this place of, wow, he knows me and he still asks me for water. He leads her, he says, he, he says, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus Christ showed her that he was the great I am. She said, one day, one day, I hope to see the Messiah. He looks at her and says, the one who you now speak to is he. And what happened when she seen him? It was like when I walked by and saw, my, you know, I was walking by. I was just, I was minding my own business. <laughs> walking by and I look over and I said, well, how you, how you doing? <laughs> you know, couldn't think about nothing else all day long. She did the exact same thing. See, she was talking to him, but all of a sudden it went from natural to supernatural. It went from a place of, hey, how you doing? Why are you asking me for a drink? People don't normally do that. And Jesus is like, let me show you something here. And she's like, oh, yeah. And then when she saw him, she's like, I got to go tell somebody. She went into the city. She tells everybody that she knows and brings them all back. There's a lot more here. I don't really have the time to do it. Two things. This is the last thing. Let's stand on our feet in the bank and come on up. Check this out. So, when she saw Jesus, when she caught that glimpse of him, when she, when she finally, when her eyes was finally opened to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of who Jesus was, did her desires change? They did. You know what the Bible says there when she went into the town? You might have missed it if you were reading it. She said, it's, the Bible said, and she left her water jar and ran into town. She left her water jar and ran into town. What do you think that means? She forgot about the things of this world. She forgot about her physical thirst. She forgot about all of these so-called needs that she had. And all eyes were on Jesus. He fulfilled her thirst just like she, he had said he would do. We know that because she didn't need the water anymore. She took off and left it where it was. 
She ran into the city. She said, come and see. Come and see a man that told me everything I've ever done. The story goes on to say that several people then came because of her testimony, because of her falling in love with Jesus and getting filled up. His word was true. He did give her life. It did become a spring. It did well up to eternal life, and it did spill on to everyone around them. I got to ask you, have you seen him? I got to ask you, is your well filled up? Maybe you are a believer, okay? But maybe you've poured out so much and been so spent that you just feel like you don't have anything to pour. Maybe you need a revitalization. Maybe you need your, your well filled up today. Maybe you're just lazy. Maybe you're scared. You know, Jesus was tired when he sat down at that well. He could have very easily said, I'm not going to worry about this right now. I've got so much going on. No, he didn't do that. He met with her where she was. He built a relationship with her. He showed her her need for a drink, and then he gave her a drink. And when he did that, she ran out, pouring it out to everybody that she, that she met. Are you pouring? Are you seeking? Are you loving? And if not, why not? If so, praise God. If you are pouring, and if you are seeking, and if you are speaking whenever you can and wherever you can, I want you to come down here this morning because I want to pray over you that God would give you armor because the enemy is going to be attacking you. He is, and if he's not, then you need to be concerned because he's not worried about you. If you're not sharing the gospel this morning, you're not evangelizing, you're not showing them Jesus, I'd wonder why. Before those come down here that I want to pray over them that they would be protected with armor and given a voice, I want to tell you, I want to tell you something. Our church is about to take a step into a, another realm, and what we want to do is we want to start doing intentional evangelism on a, on a local level. <laughs> we've, we've got uh, other people who we give to and we're praying for and they've gone out we've got a couple here in the church pam and ron uh, we'll bring them up and i'm gonna tell you a little bit about their story uh, in the next couple two or three weeks uh they're going up to montana to take what they've learned here to a church plant up there these guys are going to be church planters helping with a plant up in montana but we want to also just like these guys went out yesterday we want to intentionally hit the streets around here and and really pour into people and seek people and, and preach the gospel to them. You know, the video that I showed you, we don't just need to go out and do good things. No, we need to go out and do good things to set up and prepare the heart to hear about the best thing, to hear about Jesus Christ. Who's with me? Who will do that with me? If I set it up, if I have others in the church set it up, will you go? Will you be used by God to go into the, the communities around here, to go down the street, to love on the kids, to speak to the parents, to, to do whatever we need to do to take the gospel into the unreached places? They don't know that they're dying. They don't know, guys. We cannot stay in here with this truth. God will judge us for it. Their sins of commission where you do bad things and their sins of omission where you don't do good things God is calling us to get out of these walls yes we come here 
to train and to equip, to be built up, to have our well poured into. But then we cannot stop there. We've got to get out of here. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking for that. We're going to have opportunities for evangelism for you. We're going to have outdoor church services. I've already talked to Wesley. We've got all the equipment to put on a trailer and pull up and do church outside. Wouldn't that be cool? Who would be down with that? That would be awesome, right? We can go and put on backyard Bible clothes in the apartment complexes, in the neighborhoods, in the communities. We can go out and do little projects, uh, renovating porches and bathrooms or whatever. Not so that we can just do stuff, but that we can reach them with the gospel, guys. We can meet the physical needs and the, and the spiritual needs. A lot of things coming up here at the well. It takes a lot of help. So those of you who haven't joined the church, you haven't been plugged in, come on. God will do it with or without you. But wouldn't you like to be a part of what's going on here? Yes. Wouldn't you like to see him and be used by him? Hey, come and see me today. There's a million things that need to be done. I'll be excited to show you. So is there anybody here that you're not evangelizing, you're not speaking because you don't have any water in your well? Is anybody here that needs salvation today? I'll make that call right now. Anybody not know the Lord? Anybody not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them? Anybody not have anything to pour out? Who needs to be saved today? I'll give you a second. Hand high. Don't be the first, be the next. Anybody need to be saved today? No? All right, well, there are a bunch in the room that need to be prayed for for strength and for armor and for motivation that we can go out here and reach a lost and dying world that's not going to be condemned, but is already condemned. Let's don't let God's people, let's don't let this world just go to hell without a fight. They may not come, but it won't be because they did not hear. And who will go, says the Lord God Almighty? Who will go? Come forward if you will go. And I just want to pray over you. Come on.